Welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 70 plus companies and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the angel investors and venture capitalists who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. All of our shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. And make sure you subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Venture Studio. Any feedback or five-star reviews are always much appreciated. And now let's kick it to Dave to introduce this week's episode. Dave? One of the great aspects of being an educator is that as the years go by, you have the privilege of coming across some really great and talented people in the classes that you teach. That is, for example, how I met Kevin Weeks, who is the producer of this show, and also how I met our next guest, Wendy Zhao Shadek, who took my entrepreneurship class when she was a grad student at Columbia. She's since become a venture capitalist and joins us to talk about her observations and insights gleaned during a fascinating year, her first year in the business, of total immersion. We learn about her fund called North Zone, which has a global presence, as well as the specific areas that she has been focused on of late. As you will see, Wendy is particularly immersed in the world of blockchain and crypto and has written extensively and eloquently on the topic. I've posted some of these pieces in the show notes on VentureStudio.org. I'm sure many of you have heard the old saying, I think it was by Da Vinci, that, quote, poor is the pupil who does not surpass the master, close quote. That is not an issue here, as you will quickly discern. And that's maybe the best privilege of all of being a prof, just how much you learn from your students. So hope you enjoy meeting Wendy. She possesses a fierce intellect tempered by great humility a terrific and unusual combination for an investor in my experience. Please enjoy. Okay, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office. In office, baby. Going up. Wendy, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's a pleasure. You know, I thought we would start by telling everyone about North Zone. We want to hear, we really want to hear about you and your philosophy, but you are a venture capitalist at North Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think North Zone has a New York office that they opened only like a year ago, right? Yeah. We officially opened our New York office a year ago um, when I joined. Um, one of our partners moved over from Sweden about three years ago, um, and he was sort of in stealth here. His name is PJ. Um, you might know him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I was brought on as really the first um, employee um, since he's moved here. So in a way, I can call myself a co-founder of North Zone New York. <laughs> Why not? Let's do it. but we've been we've actually been around for over 20 years investing out of the nordics and in europe um i see so north zone was founded um in stockholm actually in oslo and then moved its headquarters to stockholm and caught some of the great successes of the early internet age out of the nordics including lastminute.com and stepstone and then um we opened up our office in London about five years ago, and now that's our headquarters and our biggest investment capacity. Um, there we have five team members. Um, mm. And in Stockholm, we still have uh, four investment team members. 
-hmm. and in New York now we have three. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it is, it is, uh, I know, I noticed this, is he Norwegian or Swedish guy sitting in a hotel <laughs> for about a year? I didn't know if his name was PJ or JP. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was. Or you can call him by a Swedish name, Per Jorgen. Okay, Per Jorgen. Right. And then uh, all of a sudden you were working there and, and Matt Kennedy was helping out. And then all of a sudden you guys were doing events and you were launching. And what, what, yeah. what is north zones stage what what kind of deals are you looking for series a what what is it um we are investors across you know, all stages mm. um we're, we consider ourselves early stage uh, but you know we primarily focus in series a and b but we will also invest in seed and c we like to invest in so so our investment philosophy which probably needs a bit of an update um but encompasses sort of four um, verticals and across those there's two there's two main themes so the four verticals are e-commerce media um, enterprise software and fintech and the two themes are mobile mm -hmm. and marketplaces so if you look at some of our past successes the one that's probably most well known in new york is is spotify which we invested at seed stage um, PJ actually has some really great stories to tell about how that round came together if you ever get to ask him about it. But he basically sort of, you know, um, at one point all the investors were, were backing out and he sort of stepped up and took all of their shares. Wow. Um, but wow. If, you, if you look at, you know, some of our past successes, um, they've mostly been, you know, along those four verticals. And mm -hmm. um, I think marketplaces and, and mobile first is a very... Very um, it's a big important theme. driver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think now we're also open to exploring a lot more um, genres and and you know areas of emerging tech. Yep. Um, here here in the New York office, we spend a lot of our time in in new media models. Um, we're we're getting smarter on um, uh, machine learning and AI. We actually have. Um, a PhD student at NYU this year who's working with us on, on, on helping to get a little bit more um, smart in that sector. Um, his name is Joe. He's great. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've also made one investment into machine learning um, as a seed investment called Aidance in um, the Netherlands. It's called Aiden? Aidance. Okay. It's a medical Im imaging machine learning software to help identify lung nodes as a second look for doctors. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh huh. So you, you're. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just yeah, yeah. You're, you're you guys are investing worldwide. You're in Scandinavia. You're in London. You're in New York. You have these four general categories that you've you've laid out, but with a special kind of focus within mobile and marketplaces and. Um, Series A, but actually across all sectors, you said, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll look pretty much at all sectors. There's some stuff that we're not, you know, we've not done before, but we wouldn't roll them out, like, you know, drones and, and ag tech. And I think we're always open to looking into areas that we're not very smart on yet, but getting smarter. And, you know, we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, but blockchain was one of those starting last year, which I really just 
Oh yeah. Into and <laughs> yeah you did. You went um, down the rabbit hole and I want to get into that. Um, and, and this, you know, I, I'm not a music person really, but, um, yes. I, I have, a, a colleague, a neighbor who, who works at, uh, Spotify and he was telling me about how well they're doing and how they're expanding and to different parts of the world and how this could actually be, I mean, this is silly for me to say, but it, this could actually be a multi, multi-billion dollar company. It could go public. Is that what's on the menu, yeah. basically? Um, you know, I think that's very much within, you know, the near future for Spotify. And so PJ has been on the board there since seed stage, and he just resigned recently. Mm. Um, so now we can speak a little bit more openly uh, about Spotify. But I think they're, they're definitely doing really well. You know, one of my best friends actually went to go work there, also sued in a CBS. Yes. And, and because of Spotify, you know, we've also identified some really interesting trends in, in content, in content monetization. Um, and we've been investing sort of along those lines uh, ever since we made that first investment into Spotify. And, and what I mean by that is, is looking at content genres that, that are perhaps, you know, sort of in flux, um, the value chain's not really being dominated by, by giants and there's some piracy going on and there's, you know, content creators are not getting paid really directly for what they're making. And then, you know, along comes a really innovative company like Spotify that builds this amazing content library, which was their first distinct machine sort of characteristic. And then on top of it started um, to innovate on user experience and now, you know, differentiating themselves on curation, just, pulling sort of the supply or the value chain together and creating a really dominant position for themselves um, as sort of the primary platform for, for consuming and creating and monetizing on this type of content. So we've made a couple of other investments in music, including Soundtrack Your Brand, which is like um, Spotify for businesses, and Jukely, which is a great um, concert subscription company here in New York and actually across the U.S. You can, yes. you know, sign up for, I think it's like $19 a month or something and go to unlimited concerts. I mean, that's... Oh, amazing. Cool. I'm, I'm in that with you guys and Bora <laughs> Selig, tremendous entrepreneur doing very well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then we've also invested across print in sort of the same concept. We've invested in some ad tech companies, including Widespace and recently made investment in a company called SourcePoint which is founded by Ben Blockus, one of the veterans of ad tech. He exited AdMelt to Google for like $400 million and really invented sort of the modern um, programmatic ad buying. And so that company is helping um, print publishers to really, you know, first fight against the ad blockers, but then presenting, because um, ad blocking rates are really on the rise and they're scaring publishers. Yes. And then presenting a choice to the consumers on how they want to pay for this content because a lot of people aren't aware that by blacking ads they're not properly compensating the publisher and so then you can you know pay via subscription or by watching a longer um, higher cpm video ad perhaps mm. um and then not having to see sort of the display ads um and then in video we just made um an investment along the same lines called fubo tv which is a really cool um, sports um, OTT like video bundle 
live sports, you can get all of you know the same sports that you would get in cable, but for a fraction of the price because you're only getting the sports bundle, and you get to, you get to have it on your mobile, on your laptop, and you can also have it on your smart TV. So this was sort of taking you know advantage of the cord cutting trend that is disrupting cable at the moment and live TV. Um, and, and you're betting that Fubo is going to be that dominant player that first compiles the really great content um, and then, you know, builds, continues to have a competitive advantage by building a differentiated user experience. Yeah, fa no, fascinating theme um, as everything gets repackaged and un unbundled and new technologies uh, enable, you know, new uses of content. What do you think... Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm sure this ties into the blockchain at some point, but do, what do you think? Uh, it does. I guess. Yes. <laughs> I want to hear about that. Um, do you think that, I mean, you've mentioned you've taken this thesis from your experience at Spotify and you're doing it in, in video, you're doing it in ad tech, you're doing it in different music models. What about, um, I was just reading something this morning. Do you think photos, photos and photo sharing and and that world could have some um new new models attached to it over time um people's ownership of their photos stuff getting stolen all the time um yeah yeah, yeah. there was a really really talented team here in new york um that was building a project called media chain hmm. um that does actually have a lot to do with blockchain because it was based on it was hmm based on blockchain, basically the idea is to create like a single source of truth for ownership rights for print, uh, for, for like photo and other media content. But they started with photo because they used like a um, machine learning um, image recognition um, mm. algorithms to find identical photos and to sort of track them back to the originator. Wow. Um, and so they built a really cool product basically that allows you to um, upload your photos and if other people um, like, like it, comment on it, um, generate impressions on it, um, you, can, you can actually um, monetize that based on the amount of traffic you're generating to the photo and that's sort of one of the unique things about blockchain is that it allows creators to directly monetize their content without relying on sort of a middle middleware platform and like the traditional I guess like incumbents in the space would be the the stock photo people yeah and I don't I don't think the average consumer you know spends a lot of time looking at stock photos but there's definitely a ton of Instagram content that can be sort of monetized in this way but you know I think here Instagram is definitely um a big a big player in the space that's sucking out a lot of air like they are in a lot of like Facebook is in a lot of other mm -hmm. media genres, but I guess that's sort of the main the main issue I would have with with um, another sort of consumer platform in this space. Um, but what mm. happened with Media Chain is they actually ended up being acquired by Spotify. <laughs> ah, okay. And so now they're working on building this rights database for music as well, and it's kind of the same logic. But right, right. You just said that. Um Spotify picked it up. I mean, it seems like this protection of rights in music and everything else is huge. And, and there's like an arms race for people to, for the Facebooks and the Spotify's and others to like acquire companies and develop more technology to recognize attribution, ownership, rights, 
Um, mm. that, that's an exciting space for sure. It is. It is. I think anytime you're compensating people more efficiently for what they're producing, that's an advantage in the long run. I think right now the platforms have a lot of power. They certainly have a lot of eyeballs, but I do believe that there is a movement um, in the long run that will, you know, allow content creators to be better rewarded for what they're creating. Mm. There's there's interesting companies like STEM that are trying to do it in the existing system. Um, Cobalt, which I think was one of PJ's past investments for another company, but these are both trying to you know work within the existing system. And then there's more out there ones like Media Chain and um, some of these other blockchain projects that are trying to build it from scratch. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think it's an exciting space. You know, we've mentioned blockchain a few times. You've, you've spent an enormous amount of effort and time studying this landscape, immersing yourself in it. You've done prolific writing on, on Medium, on Twitter. Um, really fascinating stuff, and I'm going to share that in, in the notes to our talk so people can follow you. Okay, I've been reading a little bit, but my, my understanding is, is very primitive. And I think, frankly, a lot of people who listen to this uh, Venture Studio are fascinated uh, by the subject, the topic, um, but haven't done that kind of immersion. If you could share with us maybe, you know, your description of the landscape, mm -hmm. of what it is in, in layman's terms, and then maybe we can get into, you know, what your observations have been and, you know, how you're, how you're looking at, at the whole space. The idea, you know, what it is, it's actually very simple. The simplest form of you know, of a blockchain is basically um, an open database that everyone can look at. They can inspect it, they can see the content, and they can have access to it. Um, but no one can change what has already happened in the past. Mm. So I, I really like Nick Zabo's um, uh, analogy that it is like a fly trapped in amber. Yes. And if you if you haven't listened to his podcast yet with Naval, um, it's it's really great. That's a great one to help you sort of get from the basics all the way through to to the more um, nuanced sort of aspects of, of the technology mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know what drew me initially to this space was just that the most interesting people I, were me I was meeting, and I was meeting just, you know, the most fascinating entrepreneurs, and I am pretty grateful that I get to be in this privileged position every day to talk to people that know a lot about things that I don't know about, mm -hmm. and that they get to, mm -hmm. they have to, you know, I get to sort of be educated by them, but right. um, what really fascinated me in the beginning was really how incredibly idealist and um, passionate people in this space were. Um, and, and incredibly intelligent. They're just the most interesting people I was meeting at the time. Definitely. And that very much characterized, I think, the, the decentralized movement. Um, I, since the inception of Bitcoin um, to, I think, just about the beginning of 2017. It was a lot of people in it sort of um, for, for you know, idealistic causes, building things that were sort of like the brave new world. And what I've seen... Um, change a lot uh, from, I would say, like spring of this year until now um, is the more like finance take on it, which I think is also really important to help the space 
come to fruition, but um, and also mm. you know really become widely adopted. So, right. I I think also what's happened in the last year um, is a lot of traditional entrepreneurs that were building in other spaces found themselves drawn to the energy of this and, and the enthusiasm in this space and started to build blockchain companies themselves. And that was really great. Because I think a lot of people would agree that in the earlier days of the movement, this space was lacking great product people. It was just like lacking builders in general. Um, and now there's so much more of that. So that makes me even more excited about this space. Um, mm. What you know, a lot of people will also say is, that it's overheated, it's, it's now, you know, pretty saturated, it's too expensive to get into crypto. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> I take that with a grain of salt because I think in this technology is still sort of in its infancy. There's a, um, there's a lot of capital flowing into it, I think. ICOs have surpassed early stage financing at this point. Um, and it did that, I think, halfway through 2017 mm -hmm. um, this year. Um, and, and, and some of that capital is going to be deployed to good use of it uses. Some of it is going to be wasted, but I think it's sort of a necessary phase for um, for technology to to gain you know mainstream adoption and to to be matured. Yeah, so I, I think no, I might have just blabbered on. No, 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 <laughs> that's really helpful. I, you know, um, did I answer the? Yeah, question? no, that it is. It you did. It's it's. Um, I like that description, and uh, I'm taking notes here because I'm learning too, along with everyone else. It's 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 the open database. It's mm -hmm. the fly trapped in amber that everybody who's involved mm -hmm. uh, has said yes. This happened. Yes. Uh, it occurred, and that transaction is now in a block. It's it's a fly in amber. It's surrounded by um, many uh, th thumbs up, essentially. From the world yeah. saying that this actually happened it's legitimate exactly and I, I think your suggestion to listen to that podcast is great i i listened to it it was uh i think tim ferris hosted um yeah nick Sa nick sabo and and naval now i'm going to be very very frank um i actually think you know nick sabo okay first of all let me say he's a massive genius <laughs> um <laughs> you know i'm a little fly compared to him and 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 Yet, um, I think communicating an understanding of the blockchain to lay people is is very challenging, and I, and I think Naval, believe it or not, uh, is in, is incredibly eloquent and articulate in doing it. And mm -hmm. and throughout that podcast, I was saying to myself, God, Nick is so smart. I want to read all his stuff about mm -hmm. the history of money and everything else. But if Naval did all the talking, I would have been even happier. <laughs> Quite frankly, because he's he kind of just breaks it down. Um, yeah. so but he's very good at breaking it into sort of layman's terms, and and also painting a very visionary picture of, of sort of the possibilities of blockchain. Yes, yeah. and and I think one very important point that I totally forgot to make. Um, you know, a shared database sounds all great, but when you sort of extrapolate the potential uses of something like that. It is essentially a way to coordinate human organ organizations and human um, interactions without relying on on a middle party of any kind. So, in 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 many ways, you can you can think about how you know this has implications for our future governance models. 
Um, right now, I think one of the biggest the biggest challenges for blockchain are mostly around how to get people to, to sort of be able to govern themselves without a middle person. And, and this is a technology that allows us to quickly prototype these mechanisms. Whereas before, human governance took centuries to evolve and took, you know, wars and um, a lot of political friction in order to be updated. Now you can sort of hard fork, <laughs> so to speak, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a blockchain and be on a totally different set of rules with people that agree with you. And if, if enough people agree with you, you can sort of build your own blockchain ecosystem and sort of go from there. So I think that the implications of blockchain sort of go from very, you know, technical um, efficiency type of, you know, usage to totally transformative to humankind. And I think Naval's really great at sort of driving the point home around the type of changes that can happen in the, in the latter, in the latter yes. case, and then Nick is much more sort of focused on the former because he is much deeper in like the intricacies of Bitcoin and cryptography. And I think you need both people like that. Uh, you need both sort of perspectives in, in this space in order to make it, you know, actually usable. Right. I think the reality is going to be very nuanced and it's not going to be totally you know idealistic like some of some of the original visions um i don't think we're going to get rid of government for instance but <laughs> uh, right but i think it will probably still be much more impactful than most people are expecting today i think most people are still just getting excited about the price um yeah and to me that is actually the first stage of adoption and i wrote a blog post about that um you know, I think investment gets you to sort of first buy in because maybe you're speculating, maybe you really truly believe everything will be on the blockchain in the future, but then later you start to evangelize it because you invested your time and effort and reputation into it. And then you start to adopt the technologies that are being launched. Um, you're much more likely to adopt it, Ethereum DAP which is a decentralized application built on the Ethereum network, if you have Ether, you're much more likely to invest in layers of technology on top of Ethereum if you have Ether. So, you know, tokens, I think, has the ability to just incentivize people to sort of evangelize all the technology that's built on top of it. And that's also very powerful. Yeah. I don't know if this was one of Carlotta Perez's theses, you know, about having skin in the game and, that drives techno technological cycles and adoptions and stuff like that. But it's true when you on a on a on a basic human level, you have skin in the game, means you're interested and you want to participate in that speculative skin in the game kind of attitude. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense, right? It it you're you're paying attention, you're involved, you're getting other people yeah. involved, right? I mean, uh, that's fast. That's a fascinating aspect to all of this, you know. Uh. <laughs> Very fascinating, and this is so direct. I mean, it, it is like, I think in many ways, much more straightforward than equity. I think we're very used to the concept of equity and like revenues and costs and cash flow. Therefore, future value is future value of those dividends is like equity because we've learned it in our finance books. But in reality, it's, it's very engineered. Um, and, and, and the intuition of a token, you know, it's essentially a currency that is used in a network that does a specific thing. Like that 
makes, to me at least, a lot more intuitive sense than a traditional equity. Yeah, I mean, so many, there are so many mental models that you need to incorporate. And I'm not pretending to have done this, by the way, to anybody. <laughs> but to, to grasp this thing, there's so many intersections and overlaps and new ways of looking at the world. Like, and you just mentioned one of them, our conception of equity. I mean, it's arbitrary. It, it happened. And people see these tokens and many folks who've grown up in the traditional world say, well, it's a scam and it's silly. It's all that. But really, um, maybe not. It, maybe it's uh, the precursor to uh, an entire new incentivization models for, for, for commerce, for business. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what a safe note is really, you know, amazing. Um, you know, a convertible note, uh, owning equity in a company. Okay. It's worked, but maybe there are new models that will, um, you know, change the yeah. way these things work over time. And that's just one little piece of this puzzle that's exactly. emerging. It, it's, it's really like a brave new world in this space. And I think it's very easy to also get carried away with these these new ideas and it's fun to spend time sort of dwelling in these spaces which I, I do often um, what I, I do think though is the most exciting are the companies that are one not sort of you know just hoarding as much cash as they can in this in this ecosystem and and without a very efficient way of deploying it back into the protocol but two companies that are building sort of at the intersection of the real world and crypto world um, because for this to get adopted, um, and I think investment is, is, is one of the first use cases of adoption, but for it to actually have utility value, which is kind of what people are pointing to when they say there's, you know, this space is a scam, no one's using this stuff. You know, even Bitcoin, which is the largest um, crypto by market cap has very little utility value. People aren't really using it to pay for stuff. I mean, you can actually use it to secure a reservation in Resi, which I think is great, and you should. Uh, I think the, com the companies that are that are building at the intersection of you know where people are today, um, where what they're using, what what they're doing with their with their applications and, and their phones, and you know what tools they're using today, and the blockchain you know, based future. I think those are the most interesting um, opportunities at the moment. And many of them might end up being sort of early experiments um, in a new age, kind of like how GeoCities was for, for the internet age. But I think that's going to be what drives, you know, the speculative value into utility value. And we'll probably have some ups and downs in price before that, you know, that fully happens. And I know I'm being very vague here, but I'll, I'll just give an example of what I think are some interesting examples mm -hmm. uh, of companies doing this. So there's a sure. project called Steemit, um, which is it's just basically a decentralized blogging platform, decentralized medium, basically, on, on a blockchain. You can write a blog post, and if someone reads your blog post, upvotes it, comments on it, um, you know, you get Steemit tokens because you've generated value for the network. If you are a curator, you're going around reading a lot of blog posts and you upvote stuff that does well in the end, that ends up being upvoted by a lot of other people, you also get SEMA tokens. Hmm. If you are a commenter, you, if, you com if your comments get a lot of upvotes and impressions, you get tokens. And as an advertiser, 
you can buy tokens to sort of push your post to the top so that everyone is guaranteed to look at it. So it's a full loop supply and demand cycle based in this blockchain and no one is, you know, taking a cut out of the middle other than the transaction fee that's sort of needed to write this to the blockchain. I'm just going to pause and, there to, to digest that and for everyone. I mean, what you're saying is that there's no house to use a casino mm -hmm. term. It's just a self-sufficient <laughs> ecosystem. Exactly. And enabled by the blockchain. Yeah. No one's taking a cut, a rake of any kind. It's this strange new apparition in many ways of a community where value is being exchanged. And as you call it, a full loop. Advertisers, writers, curators. There's a currency, so-called, that yeah. facilitates all of it. So in that sense, it's... An, an implementation of the decentralized, of, of the power of that decentralized concept that is that is core to, to blockchain yep. technology. Okay. Exactly. We're absorbing. We're absorbing. Steam it. Okay. Got it. Exactly. And I encourage you all to sort of play around. It's a great way to understand how what people refer to as crypto economics works. And what's especially exciting about Steam it is that now that there's this ability to get liquidity for the token in the public market, the price of the token you know, goes up when more people enter the ecosystem so that the early adopters are actually really highly rewarded for their work. So it really encourages people to be the first onto the platform if they think that's going to succeed in the future. And, and that, if I'm not mistaken, is to, to in a, an example of your earlier point, like early, mm -hmm. the early adopters are incentivized for exactly. promoting it, getting in early, they're treated as uh, preferred shareholders in some ways you know they they uh they the more value redounds to their benefit if this mm -hmm. ecosystem takes off exactly fascinating exactly. and that's written into the code or whatever that's written into the economics and in the code amazing and how i think of this <laughs> this is kind of a weird analogy i've never really thought of it until now do you know those like echo globes the glass domes that have like a full ecosystem inside with like the little shrimp <laughs> and water and plants. <laughs> so I think of like a steamit ecosystem kind of like that. It's self-sustaining. There's economic rules that make the whole thing work between supply and demand. Those rules are very fragile, of course, and you don't have a lot of chances to get them right. It's like how many shrimp do you add to this globe versus how many plants, how much water and how much oxygen. Mm. That has to be totally you know, set at the beginning um, before this thing starts running and then you start to learn, you know, oh, the tokens are appreciating too quickly or we don't have enough, you know, they're, they're not appreciating fast enough. The inflation rate of the ecosystem is perhaps too high or not high enough. Um, and then you do experiments. You learn in these early projects how to refine these economic models and to build more fully self-sufficient ones later. Yeah. And I think, you know, a blockchain that wins out in the end is one that's able to sort of flexibly adjust these types of early rules to accommodate for human behavior and new data because undoubtedly as more people onboard this ecosystem we'll get tons of new data. Now I want to hear these other examples but let, let's dive in there just for a second um, mm -hmm. to understand. Um, I love that analogy. It reminds me of like some Dr. Seuss thing I once where there are all these little worlds within worlds. Maybe it was Dr. Seuss or something else. But you're saying you're in a, what I'm intuiting from that is 
there's a lot of these experiments going on now. Uh, we're learning from it collectively. <clears throat> what are the inputs? <clears throat> it's like if you introduce wolves into the valley, you know, suddenly the trees grow higher and the weeds, you know, like we're, we're becoming, you know, it's like a biological kind of experiment in some ways. What mm -hmm. inputs, what outputs, it's, it's fascinating. But what, I, what I'm also hearing you say is that there have to be mechanisms along the way to adjust um, to challenges that have arisen. And that presumes that there is human input, that there's coders or some foundation or some some organization and then we see this in bitcoin of course but yep. you know and that <clears throat> that's confusing to people too like if it's truly decentralized who are the progenitors or the you know the puppeteers yeah who now and what authority do they have to change the environment yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great question and is probably the, one of the biggest questions being asked in, in blockchain space, in the decentralized blockchain space. Um, this idea of a governance paradox. I wrote about this in, in one of my blog posts um, on Medium, but it was also published on, in Coindesk. Um, basically, this is one of the biggest unanswered questions about, about the space. My personal opinion is that blockchain technologies are not supposed to remove governance. Like they're supposed to help us innovate and develop new governance mechanisms. Hence, my what I mentioned earlier about prototyping governance mechanisms um, that work better for the collective. Ah, right. Um, uh. And right now, you know, benevolent dictatorship works fine enough for Ethereum. Um, and, and Bitcoin is sort of going through its own thing with, you know, SegWit and then calling it off and then, you know, and people are learning and hard forking is, is the way to sort of vote in this ecosystem, which ecosystem, you know, which, which world, which governance organization you want to belong to. I um, see, I and, see. And, and I think it's not, it's not a question of, it's not a question of, you know, if yes or no, will the, the fate of blockchain technologies is not dependent on um, our ability, ability to answer this question, actually. I've changed my stance since I've written my blog post. I think it's actually, that is how we will figure out the answer to this question. Elaborate on that last point. We will keep experimenting with you know, with different types of delegated democracies or, you know, different ways to basically self-govern in these ecosystems um, mm. until we find the right one. I see. And, and it sounds like one of your premises was it doesn't need to be perfect now. It's, exactly. It, 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 it's better. We're working towards better systems for, of, of governance of these little universes, okay. uh, mini universes, uh, and how, how in some ways this is these are not your words. It's silly to think they would be perfect. Now we're in the experimental phase. Exactly, very experimental. So it's not almost it's that criticism is not a valid one. That it's not quite perfect, and that there's still mm -hmm. human frailties and rivalries involved. That that's not a legit criticism of these of blockchain yet. 
because it's 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 in the in the, in the wild west phase, you know. It is, it is. I think people are are building technology first in some instances, rather than people first, and then they're figuring out oh, people have a lot to do with this first as well, um, and so we're we're learning. And I think you know Brad Burnham from Union Square Ventures likes to say that there is a process of natural selection that will happen in the blockchain universe. And I, I, I very much agree that, you know, I think that the networks that will ultimately win in the end are the ones that benefit their participants um, the maximum amount without some central party, like, taking out a huge cut. And then also, you know, where everyone feels like they can sort of, you know, agree to these rules until they can't. And then they'll either change the rules or move on to a new, a new type of blockchain. I'd love to delve into this for several more hours, but... Given the, <laughs> given the constraints today, let me ask you this. Uh, as an investor doing this deep dive and developing these insights, how do you look at it via the lens of an investor right now? Help us out with that because that's incredibly yeah. confusing to a lot of investors, yeah. uh, frankly. It's, it's also confusing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think you know, my, all I can really add is my personal opinion. And my personal opinion is, again, looking at teams that are building conservatively and think and, and and it means also looking for a different kind of entrepreneur you know in traditional startup organizations we've all seen the kind of entrepreneurs that have been the most successful they're sort of you know the Steve Jobs type ability they, they have ability to convince the masses to sort of see their one only vision and to execute against that vision and it works very much in a pyramidal like higher hierarchical organization um and it's probably still the right way to build some things um even in the blockchain world like there's probably some some aspects of of building that's going to remain centralized perhaps like you know really great ux products maybe they they will be built better built by centralized organizations i'm not sure but i think to build a really great community an entrepreneur entrepreneur needs to have a whole different set of qualities they need to be thinking from the community's perspective at all times, which is, which means they can't be maximizing things for themselves or for their own ego or for their organization. They have to be sort of building with the mindset that their organization will, in the best case, dissolve into, into the network. It's very much sort of the open source ethos, but with a, with a you know, business model on top. And I think these types of entrepreneurs are the ones that I... I look to um, because ultimately, you know, so much of the other stuff hasn't been built yet. You can do diligence on things like their economic frameworks, which you should, but I think those will probably all change given how fast the space is moving. You can, you definitely need to do diligence on their GitHub and, and their actual code because there's so many projects raising that have actually built nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and intend intend to build nothing, but I think all of these things sort of can come down to to the founder um, and the founding team and what what are they really trying to build in this world? And I think, you know, in terms of, of the team, I'm really looking for someone that is maximizing benefit, maximizing wealth for the community that mm. that will get involved and carry this forward in the future because that's really what will define a strong protocol. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of Areas that I like, actually markets and, and verticals that I think are interesting. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think, you know, they need to have thought through how they would build a wedge into the current paradigm. It, it's, it's easy to say, you know, when things are on the blockchain, then we're going to be the only social media platform or the only video broadcasting platform or, you know, the only video uh, music streaming platform. But right now, you are not. And, and, and the biggest incumbents have all the users, all the content. How are you going to create a wedge into this current paradigm to shift them over into, into um, your universe? Albeit it might be slow, it might be one use case at a time. You know, Bezos went with books before he mm. went to world domination. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, mm. I think that that is also something I look for. And, and one project I'll just talk about briefly here, and I'm, I'm not, you know, ever really giving any investment advice um, on, on tokens and protocols. So this one is not one you can buy publicly yet, but I think it's really interesting. Mm. Um, it, it's a protocol that allows people to, in China, to, to bypass the Great Firewall of China. Wow. Because if you think about the only benefit of, of decentralized technology so far, above and beyond sort of centralized um, tech, it is it is the ability it is its ability to remain uncensored. It is uncensorable, and that is kind of one of the core value propositions of this entire space. And when people say, you know, why do you need decentralized Uber? We already have regular Uber. What makes anybody use decentralized Uber? Like. And yeah, right now they probably wouldn't because you won't have any people driving on it right. and the tech won't be as good. And so if you think about the sort of core value add of, of a blockchain technology for Bitcoin, it's that it's uncensorable. And for a while it was untrackable, but now there's people working on tracking it. Um, so this, this project is looking to build an uncensorable internet protocol that lays on top of the existing internet, which allows people to share bandwidth with others that have censored bandwidth. Wow. So, wow. you know, Deep. people in China can browse the web like the rest of the world. And because of its decentralized nature, it will never be able to be stopped by the government. And you're not, I don't want to say never, because there are ways you can hack the network, but they're thinking very smartly about how to make it completely, you know, untouchable from Amazing. the government. Wow. Um, I'm almost frightened to go more deeply into this, lest, lest uh, people come out of the woodwork. But um, that's fascinating. You're looking at this particular team now, yes? Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Really fascinating stuff. Uh, let, let me ask you this, um, switching gears slightly. Um, yep. you, you've been in venture now for a year or so, maybe more. Um, what are your reflections uh, after a year of total immersion? What have you observed? What have you learned to share with us? So, as you know, Dave, I went into this sort of on the edge of entrepreneurship and venture. I started a company before I joined, while I was actually doing my internship at North Zone. Yes. And for me, it was sort of you know, always about what excited me at the moment and what, what got me up in the morning, just like ready to sort of push through walls to get this thing done. Um, and, and in venture... I've realized, so I've, I've learned so much from the people around me, and you just have, you know, this kind of, like, privileged access to really smart people, as I mentioned earlier, who can just, you know, get you up to speed on the stuff that they spend so much more time on, and yeah. you can benefit from their knowledge, and you can sort of 
build a really interesting mental map um, of the universe from from all these different people's perspectives, and that's that's what I've you know benefited the most from, and I really really um, owe a lot of that to my team at North Zone, to PJ, who is sort of like looking at me with a raised brow at first when I was like <laughs> watching his next new internet <laughs> right. help me to break down some of these thoughts and to, to push my thinking much further. And then of course I never had all the answers. I just went out and talked to other people that had answers. And then I was like, okay, what other questions do you have? Um, and then doing that to everyone, like meeting the biggest criticisms. So I, I spent a lot of time like following blockchain critics on Twitter just to understand like what they were thinking and why they thought this wouldn't work. Yes. And then I took those criticisms and then talked to experts that I knew in the space and tried to understand sort of where the nuances are because it's never as total as, as people imagine it to be. Yeah. Um, and sort of paint your own unique picture based on all of those inputs. What what I've sort of learned though in this position where your your ultimate task is to make decisions on which sort of which investments you want to do. Mm. Um you do have to have a much more constrained perspective compared to that of an entrepreneur, which is like, how do I make this work? And I have to sort of think, sit here and think about <clears throat> what are the probabilities that it will work this way and will not work this way, and then make a decision based on that. Um, it, is, it is more constrained, yes. in my opinion. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of that, you have to sort of just not fall back into these like heuristic traps that you end up developing in this business and be constantly, but the most impressive um, VCs I've met so far in my limited time are the people that are able to just constantly open their minds to new ideas, even though they completely conflict with what they thought. And, and I don't mean like sort of contrarians, but just people that are willing to look where other people aren't looking and understand before they go back to their original position or, you know, perhaps develop a new one. Fascinating, fascinating. Wow. Um, would you uh, do us a favor and come back on next year with more reflections <laughs> and thoughts? Yes? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I would love that. Thank you. This is an incredible <laughs> journey you're on. I mean, it, I mean, just we're, we're getting a little window into it. But um, uh, okay, my friend, thank you so much for your time today. We've learned a lot. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, Dave. Talk soon. Okay, take care. Give you a taste of business, you know?